This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. I'm pretty sure that's my cue. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade here. Corey Lewandowski coming up shortly. Admiral James Javidis, one of the most respected military men in the country. He'll be with us at the bottom of the hour, making sense of the Iranian situation, making sense of our policy on China. Are we really to believe that that trade deal is still in place? I, I guess so. That's what they're talking about. Uh, as well as China just basically waiting us out to this election's done so they can get a, a friendlier audience. So it's finally done. The DNC is through. We'll discuss that. The president of the United States is going to be on the road again, as will the vice president this weekend. They are really amping it up. And guess who's not? I watched Jill Biden on, on another network, and she's saying, they said, are you going to go on the road? Not really. As soon as the scientists tell us we can. I got news for you. People are traveling. The president's 74. Your husband's 77. He's traveling. What's the problem? But I guess if you're winning, no reason to leave your basement. I didn't think that was a phrase, but it might be uh, a new catchphrase for sports and for life. Let's get to the big three. I don't think strategically it's where we should go right now because the Republicans would like to pass something like that and say, forget about it. Forget about state and local. Forget about our investments in stopping the virus. I don't know what she's talking about. I never do. Uh, that is Speaker Pelosi talking about the chances of a skinny bill. Coronavirus cases are and the deaths are dropping. Is the worst over as Congress comes back for this emergency post office meeting? Can't believe I'm saying that. Could a skinny rescue deal be done? Do you want to see it? Number two. It seems to me that after tonight, Donald Trump is going to have to run against a candidate, not a caricature. You know why? Because I believe that Joe Biden did better than many people thought. Next up, Trump and the RNC, because the DNC is through. What should the GOP have learned from the four-day telethon we all lived through? And what does his pandemic-sensitive campaign do now to win? Number one. I'm a proud Democrat. And I'll be proud to carry the banner of our party into the general election. So it's with great honor and humility I accept this nomination. It's finally president of the United States of America. Uh, it's finally finished. The DNC in the books. We look at Joe Biden's long-awaited speech, one of the shortest in history. It was well-written and delivered, but uh, was it steeped in fact? I don't think so. We analyze to the degree... We can and let President Trump answer the best he knew how to because he went out with Sean Hannity last night and had a big speech right before Joe Biden's speech. So here's the message I would take from the president. When you debate Joe Biden with all his, I think, slippage intellectually, cognitively, you have to assume he's going to show up and be able to perform. He's got to handle this, the president, if he wants to be president again before more years. Approach this like he's going against Ted Cruz or Hillary Clinton. 
Good debaters who know the issues, you just disagree. And if Joe Biden does fall apart after 15, 20 minutes, which we watch him do on the stump when he was actually campaigning, that happens. But don't count on it. That's because Biden gave a speech, and it was fine. He looked like he knew the copy, looked a little scared a couple of times, but got through it. Julia Louis-Dreyfus had some moments, but for the most part, totally out of place, without an audience. Some of this stuff was totally not funny. The thing with Andrew Yang was painful. Please don't make me watch it again. But let's listen to a little of Joe Biden's speech and then get your take on what he had to say. Cut one. History has delivered us to one of the most difficult moments America's ever faced. Four, four historic crises, all at the same time. A perfect storm, the worst pandemic in over 100 years, the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression, the most compelling call for racial justice since the 60s, and the undeniable realities and just the accelerating threats of climate change. Accelerating threat of climate... So the question for us is simple. Are we ready? Here's the thing. I'll answer that question. Number one, uh, the pandemic. Nobody was ready for what hit us. Uh, We got ramped up as quick as possible. The question is, would he have done that quicker? We'll discuss that. Number two, and by the way, the answer is no, because in March, this guy still having a debate with Bernie Sanders, didn't bring it up once. In March, he did not even call for a China ban or a European travel ban and said that we should not be living in fear. So we'll discuss that. Number two, on climate change. Listen, we got to address the climate. We're addressing the climate. We've got to make it cleaner. There's no indications that the world is about to implode. Number three, racial justice was the story two months ago. Now it is flat out civil unrest and anarchy in the major cities. Swing and a miss. Economics, absolutely. The question is, have we turned the corner? I believe so. Is the worst over? Yes. This is all self-inflicted, so it all can be fixed. We did it to fight the virus. My fear is this guy's going to shut it down again because he says he's got to defeat the virus first. That's the answer to the beginning. Cut to. Five million Americans infected by COVID-19. More than 170,000 Americans have died. By far the worst performance of any nation on earth. More than 50 million people have filed for unemployment this year. More than 10 million people are going to lose their health insurance this year. Nearly one in six small businesses have closed this year. And this president, if he's reelected, you know what will happen. Cases and deaths will remain far too high. More mom and pop businesses will close their doors, and this time for good. Working families will struggle to get by. And yet the wealthiest 1% will get tens of billions of dollars in new tax breaks. All right, a couple of things. I can't stand, number one, you cannot pin on Donald Trump 170,000 deaths, number one. Number two is so many of these policies when it comes to the the economies are mayors and governors in Democratic states who are opening up so slow, I believe, and I'm sure it's going to emerge, that they are making sure that this economy does not turn around before November 3rd. It'll magically realize they can have restaurant indoor dining. It'll magically realize we can have gyms where people are allowed to work out responsibly. They got to suddenly realize that schools can get back into action. Teachers unions will suddenly realize it is going to be worth the risk to get kids back in the classroom. I know that. You know that. 
that, you know they're playing politics with it. Next, nobody knew the scope of this pandemic. And if you look at just what Joe Biden has said and done, you know that he would not have been strong on this. And if you see what happened over eight years, especially with him directly responsible of $800 billion of a recovery package, stimulus package he got after the economy crashed on the transition between Bush and Obama. And you see that there was not a shovel-ready project ready to go. There wasn't a road built or a tunnel completed because there were none. Money ended up being doled to the states. Upon further review, he's very vulnerable there. He's also very vulnerable, as Carl Rove points out, on COVID policy. Cut 10. No, one speech doesn't do it. But one speech can open up opportunities for your opponent. And tonight, he opened up some opportunities for President Trump, particularly on COVID. He talked about, I thought it was interesting, he opened that section by saying, I've been talking about this since March, and then proceeded to outline six things, like rapid testing and more PPE and so forth. But I thought it was interesting. He knows he's got a vulnerability on this issue. And the vulnerability is that he he and his campaign were wrong on this issue almost from the start. And H1N1, you had his chief of staff, Ron Klain, come out and said, it's nothing we did to stop a pandemic for blanketing the country. We got lucky. This president was not lucky with this. We still don't know about the virus, where it started. We still don't know why it was in Europe first and blew into New York first. And then we got hit on the West Coast. And we were never given a heads up by uh, the World Health Organization, which he said he'd fully finance. Certainly weren't given a heads up. By China, we should have listened more to Taiwan, but that's an intelligent conversation. We're not having intelligent conversations now. As Kim Strassel brought up, and I'll bring a couple of quotes from her uh, column on the virus. Democrats don't like to talk about H1N1 because it didn't go well. If it had been as deadly as COVID-19, the toll would have been catastrophic. The U.S. had some 5 million reported cases of corona, 170,000 deaths. A virus spread of the H1N1 fatality rate of COVID-19 could produce a death toll approaching 2 million. The Trump administration response has been flawed, in particular its initial testing delays. That was CDC, but that is 100% true, Kimberly Strassel. She goes on. But let's acknowledge, as Democrats once did, that there is only so much government can do to control a germ. As for distributing equipment, providing antivirals, developing a vaccine, the current response has so far met or exceeded 2009-10. Biden is free to argue he's a better man for the White House. He shouldn't get to rewrite history or virology. virology. Get it? Understand this. Anyone who sits there as a guy who has been a senator since the age of 28, and tell us that he would have been ahead on this virus without any scientific background is not telling you the truth. Number two, Anthony Fauci mentioned that the ban on the European travel should have been the U.K. earlier, and China saved a lot of lives. He was never for that. And if he wanted a nationwide lockdown, well, nationwide lockdown, he got it. If he wants a nationwide mass demand, he would have been bucking his own scientists because— The scientists said there was no reason to wear masks. Governors said there's no reason to wear masks. The president said we were told if you have the virus, that's when they wear a mask, not to get it. Now we're finding out masks are mandatory. How dare you not wear them? But they would have been telling. If you want to listen to the scientists, they were not saying wear a mask. In fact, the Surgeon General was saying you could hurt other people by wearing masks. Man, has that changed. 
I want to get to Corey Lewandowski, talk about where the campaign goes from here, how the RNC looks compared to the DNC. Will there be crowds? A lot of questions, so I'll take a time out. We're going to end this hour with your phone calls, 1-866-408-7669. A lot to discuss, the four-day extravaganza, not quite that. Telethon is over. Your thoughts. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. All hopeful, upbeat, optimistic. It was not partisan at all. It was a deeply optimistic speech, hopeful. Very authentic, very, very optimistic. It's a man who embraced the light, who spoke against the darkness. Everything is so hopeful. It's so positive. So I think it was important for him tonight to make people feel that hope, to make people feel empathetic, to make people think that, you know, the future is better. Uh, but this was ultimately a, a message of unity to the country. There you go. Uh, some of the reviews that were probably recorded before the speech was given. Uh, Corey Lewandowski joins me now, but it was a solid speech by Joe Biden. Senior advisor is Corey Lewandowski to the Pence 2020 uh, uh, campaign. Uh, and he is with us now. He's also author of Let Trump Be Trump, which is a familiar phrase. Corey, welcome back. Thank you for having me, Brian. Thank you. Corey, Corey, if you were to tell the president, if the president called you up and he might have already and said, what do you think of the speech? What should I take from it? What would you say? Look, the answer was Joe Biden performed last night, and the expectation for Joe to perform on a debate stage or in a setting like last night was fairly low. He cleared that bar. Uh, he it was clearly well rehearsed well-rested, and he delivered what for Joe Biden is going to be a very complimentary speech. So what was in it that you think is, is open season for you and the RNC? Well, the truth is, Brian, that Joe did not line, outline any of uh, 
the policies that the American people want to talk about. He didn't talk about law and order. He didn't talk about the marauders running through the streets. He didn't talk about the fact that for 44 years, Joe served in elective office in Washington, D.C., and a number of the problems that we have encountered are because of his tenure in Washington. He didn't talk about any of the resolution for those things. What he talked about was this grand notion that I'm going to be the light and you know there is darkness around Donald Trump. You can't run a campaign for president solely against the incumbent with no policies to the American people and say, hey, vote for me, even though he has been the problem for the last five decades. Uh, yeah, he says he's going to make some changes, but you have to suspend logic to think that all of a sudden he got this light to build a road and a bridge. When I think uh, I think what's ripe for him is that $800 billion stimulus package he was in charge of. I don't think anyone went to the right place. I'm not saying people put it in their pockets, but I'm saying that there was no shovel-ready projects. There, there was nothing done. There was nothing built. Uh, broadband wasn't completed in rural sections of the country. I don't think that he realizes that. What I thought, was, what I thought wasn't surprising but was totally out of place was the anger Barack Obama showed at the president and that speech. What were you thinking when you were watching it? Brian, 240 years our country has always had a peaceful transition from one president to the other regardless of party regardless of ideology. We have never seen attacks from one president to the other, even if they fundamentally disagree on issues. Barack Obama changed all of that. You know, what he did not want to talk about, which I unfortunately was part of, was this narrative that Barack Obama decided to authorize the spying on American citizens on domestic soil during a presidential campaign. Barack Obama didn't want to talk about that. We know what happened to Mike Flynn, uh, Jerome Corsi, Corey Lewandowski, and so many others. That was under the Obama watch. And so for him to then go and take pot shots against Donald Trump for bringing jobs back to America, for going and redefining our role as a country in the world, for making our allies respect us again and for making our enemies fear us again, the difference with Donald Trump is he puts America first, where Barack Obama did what I call the apology tour. He went to three different continents. He apologized for being the president of the greatest country in the world. And then he decided in his speech on Wednesday night to chastise this president for it. It does not play in the heartland. It doesn't play in New Hampshire. And it won't play with Americans. So why, why is the president trailing? Well, Brian, he's only trailing, it looks to be fair, in a very few places. I think our numbers are better than ever. If you look at the CNN really? poll, it showed us down 14 points just two weeks ago. Now it shows us down four points. If that's the CNN poll, that actually means we're winning. But look. I'm in Pennsylvania today campaigning for this president. The president was there yesterday just outside of Scranton, a place where Joe Biden calls his home, even though he hasn't lived there in literally 66 years. You go to Wisconsin, you go to Michigan, all the places I've been. I spent four days in Florida last week. This president has enthusiasm everywhere. There's a hidden voter who doesn't want to say that they're supporting Donald Trump for fear of retribution, whether it's at the workplace or, pri- or, or with their friends or their family or their colleagues. And so, look, I believe Donald Trump is winning. Our internal numbers tell us we are in a better position today than we were four years ago. Here is uh, Lester Holt asking Jill Biden if Joe Biden's actually going to campaign. Cut 23. I think most people get the idea of having a virtual convention owing, of course, to the virus. But, you know, campaigns sometimes are won or lost in that ability to get out there to the battleground states, to meet people, to press the flesh. Have the two of you discussed your your tolerance, your risk tolerance. 
out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Tolerance uh, this campaign season for getting outside Delaware, getting out to some of the battleground states? Well, you know, Lester, we are getting to thousands and thousands of people every single day. We're virtually going into three, four, five states a day. But, you know, there, we want nothing more than to be able to get out there and talk to the people. So once the experts say it's safe, once we're the expert, be out on Once the, the experts say it's safe, that's not stopping you. Why is it stopping them? Brian, Brian, the fact that we have a presidential candidate's wife doing more interviews than the candidate himself should alarm the American people. The toughest interview Joe Biden did this week was with Cardi B. Not exactly a Brian Kilmeade, not exactly a Dan Rather type journalist, okay? Not only did Cardi B read the questions off a card, Joe Biden answered the questions off a card. He had the questions in advance. Look, there is no reason that Joe Biden can't be out seeing the American people other than the fact that he is incapable of putting together a coherent sentence. Mm-hmm. He's incapable of telling people what his vision for America is. Donald Trump is in four different states. This is five, actually, if you count Iowa, another battleground state. And you're and fighting. So we're on the road all the time. Yep, you are. And I look for a crowd to be at the RNC. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Today I'm directing the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, to notify the U.N. Security Council that the United States intends to restore virtually all of the previously suspended United Nations sanctions on Iran. It's a snapback. Not uncommon. So part of the Iran deal was that in 10 years, they have an option to get out of it and they could start their nuclear program again. Everyone thought they wouldn't. And number two is, which, by the way, never got ratified by the Senate or else it would not be even an issue for the president. He'd be dealing with that and have to settle with that treaty. And number two is uh, there would be a release of the sanctions, uh, what the weapons embargo on the Iranians. Well, the rest of the world wants to stay with that deal and allow weapons to be sold to Iran. We don't like the deal, famously. Our allies did not follow us. So, therefore, we want to make sure that they continue with the embargo. Where does that stand and what's at stake? Admiral James Chavitas joins us, the 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. Admiral, how are you and where do you stand on this? Uh, doing fine, Brian, here in North Florida, where cases are starting to go down a bit, which is good news. Let's hope those trends continue and we don't see a so-called second wave, particularly after schools open. But to uh, get back to Iran, um, I think that the deal that was crafted uh, by the uh, Obama administration had many flaws in it, but it had one thing going for it, which was that we got the allies together with us, notably the European allies, and even Russia and China were with us on that deal. Now, that deal is cratered, and I think that it's a mistake to kind of look back and say, gee, I wish we still had that deal. We don't have that deal anymore. So I think 
from where the ball is on the field right now, it does make sense to implement these uh, snapback. I don't think we're going to see the allies go along with us. Why? Because of the election. So I think we are putting a, a stake into the system. It puts pressure on the Iranians. That's a good thing. Everyone else is going to wait until after November and see where things go. I think a Biden administration, some say, will want to immediately go back to the Iranian nuclear deal. I don't think so. I think that ship has sailed on a bit. And I think post-election, Trump administration would have leverage to get the allies back with us on this. And I think a Biden administration will have leverage to take a stronger approach against Iran. All of that is a result of re-implementing and pushing for the snapback. I think it is the right thing to do from where the ball is on the field right now. I mean, look at this. Everybody who's in their self-interest, we get that. And France, for example, cannot be happy with Iran's role and Hezbollah's role in Beirut, in Lebanon. France cannot be happy with what what, uh, Iran was doing to keep Syria and Assad uh, propped up uh, in that country. And I don't think uh, anybody is pleased with uh, Iran's role in Iraq right now, trying to take over that country. Here's the president with the prime minister of Iraq uh, yesterday talking about our troops. Cup 42. Do you have a time frame for the full and complete withdrawal of U.S. troops from, from Iraq? Uh, Mike, what would you say to that? Yeah, as soon as we com- complete the mission, the president's made very clear he wants to get our forces down to the lowest level as quickly as we possibly can. That's the mission he's given us, and we're working with the Iraqis to achieve that. And now, strike me as naive, but this prime minister has shown promise. He has shown an agitation towards the role of Iran, and in turn, they started assassinating some of his advisors. But he has not been anti-American. The Iranians did not want him to get this job. Do I see a window of opportunity? You do. And uh, this— current prime minister is a big trade-up over anything we've dealt with. Going back to my time as Supreme Allied Commander when we had a NATO mission in Iraq. And of course, during that period, we had over 100,000 troops in Iraq. Now we're down to about 5,000 troops, Brian. As you and I have discussed, these troops have a real military purpose that impacts directly the security of the United States, twofold. One, it pushes back on Iran. Number two, it continues to degrade the Islamic State, which has not gone away. So I think that mission is a good one. I think that the new prime minister would be much more willing to work with us, keeping those very minimal footprint, 5,000 troops there. I think it's premature to talk about pulling them out. And I think what you heard Secretary of State Pompeo in his normal way of trying to kind of finesse the president's comments, he said, well, we are going to stay there until the mission is complete. That's the task you've given us, Mr. President. I think that's a smart footing on the part of the secretary of state. Let's hope we don't see a a sudden withdrawal of those troops. Um, I think it's same calculus, Brian, as exists in Afghanistan. We just don't want to pull out the final set of troops. It's like pulling out the last few firefighters after there's been a forest fire. It's going to flare back if you do that. Let's not make that mistake in Iraq. Look, we didn't pull all the way out of Syria. We didn't pull all the way out of Afghanistan. (laughs) We haven't pulled all the way out of Iraq. And my thing is, I talked to General Keene today before the actual segment, and he pointed that out to me. He goes, Brian, look look at what the policy is as opposed to the politics. And don't look at what the president does, says. Look at what he does. So I think people panic 
um, like military men like uh, um, people like me that care and military men like you see see this this we saw this movie before we pulled out of Iraq we got ISIS so. exactly right and we just don't want to make that mistake again and therefore uh, Jack Keane great friend and mentor to me uh, is exactly right which is uh, let's keep the troops in. Let's watch the actual policy on the ground. Let's watch the boots on the ground. And and frankly, it does a service to the nation when those of us like like me, like you, like Jack Keane, who have a view, not a political one, but a military and a security one, raise our voices. I think that does ease back on some of the political pressure. So I continue to advocate minimal troops. And again, this is 5,000 troops. At one time, we had 200,000 in Iraq. We had 150,000 in Afghanistan when I commanded that mission. This is 5,000 troops in Iraq, 8,000 troops in Afghanistan, uh, a few hundred in Syria. Those are good investments. Exactly. And if you're worried about politics and belligerence and warmonger, nobody thinks that. So I'm just looking from the political point. He's not vulnerable in that way. So hopefully that won't change. The other thing is, uh, we, we talked about the the impact of the UAE and Israel, and the fact is when they said we're going to annex these parts of the Palestinian territories, the the, uh, the settlements, that prompted the UAE to act, it seems. So unintended benefit. So it's on delay maybe forever. I hear Sudan and Bahrain is next to recognize Israel. Have you heard that? I have. Um, uh, Sudan, I think, somewhat closer uh, then you'll see Bahrain. I think next in the queue will be Oman. Uh, and I think it is not inconceivable uh, by the end of the year uh, or early next year, you could see the kingdom, uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, make the leap. When when the Saudis make the jump, then we've really consolidated an anti-Iranian coalition uh, in a very strong way that includes Israel. When you bring all that Israeli technology and intelligence and capability to the mix— put it alongside the Arab money and the technology that they've purchased, and they're very good human intelligence. That's a powerful deterrent to Iran. Makes a lot of sense. All right. Uh, let's do something in another area. China, of course, uh, the pressure we're trying to put on about the pressure they're doing, giving on the Philippines. Why should we be paying attention to the Philippine protests of what China's doing at the, basically in the South China Sea? Um, what we are ought to be hoping for is – Uh, Again, a coalition of nations around the South China Sea who want to work with us, who can push back on China's claims of territoriality. So that would be Vietnam, Taiwan, Malaysia, Singapore, but very important and crucially, the Philippines. And we've got advantages there. We have a long history in the Philippines Um, They were actually part of the United States in a a colonial sense for about 50 years. Uh, We helped them to independence, ultimately. Um, We've stood with them. We have a bilateral treaty with them. Uh, It's important that the Philippines stand with the rest of those nations that I mentioned. Otherwise, China's going to run over this area. Gotcha. Admiral, thanks so much. Always great to talk to you. Same here, Brian, and uh, hopefully numbers keep coming down, and that means Brian will come down to North Florida again soon. Absolutely, and then I'll go into the WOKV studios, and we'll make sure maybe to do something within six feet of each other.
<laughs> in person. Absolutely. All right, friend. Have Thank you, friend. Admiral. one 408 7669 Gone over a lot. We covered the world. We covered how politics uh, plays a role here. The, Joe Biden was able to pull off the speech last night, a very low bar, but he did get over it. Now what does this mean for the president? Not only the debates in September, but the RNC, which is just around the corner. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Just a week ago yesterday was the third anniversary of the events in Charlottesville. Close your eyes. Remember what you saw on television. Remember seeing those neo-Nazis and Klansmen and white supremacists coming out of the field with lighted torches, veins bulging, spewing the same, same anti-Semitic bile heard across Europe in the 30s. Remember the violent clash that ensued between those spreading hate and those with the courage to stand against it. And remember what the president said when asked? He said there were, quote, very fine people on both sides. It was a wake-up call for us as a country and, for me, a call to action. At that moment, I knew I'd have to run because my father taught us that silence was complicity, and I could never remain silent or complicit. That is so aggravating when I'm watching this last night. Now, I know Charlottesville had a lot of people upset, including Gary Cohen, people close to the president. But what the president said awkwardly was this. People that stand up for the Confederacy aren't racist. They have a Southern heritage. There's a debate about taking down Southern statues, Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Jackson. I get it. But up until that time in our country, those statues were fine up until the last couple of years. And all of a sudden, when people start ripping them down, there's a problem. So the march took place. I was actually on vacation. And there were good people on both sides. But there were also skinheads, Nazis, who are not good. The president did not go out of his way to say there's a difference. I get it. But for him to say that the president was praising Nazis is 100 percent inaccurate. And it bothers me because— he does, of course he's not pro-skinhead. Are you nuts? But he's talking about our heritage. And it's the debate we're having right now. And there's good people that want to see Robert E. Lee's statue stay up. And there's good people that want to see it be taken down. So here's what President Trump said. Cut seven. And you had some very bad people in that group. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. You had people in that group, excuse me, excuse me, I saw the same pictures as you did. You had people in that group that were there to protest the taking down of, to them, a very, very important statue and the renaming of a park from Robert E. Lee to another name. So that was the controversy. Then everybody said, oh, my goodness, there were good people on both sides. But what did he say at first? Of course, he had those bad people, but then there were others. And that's what everyone ran with, the beginning of the Trump derangement syndrome, so to speak. So that was brought up. So everyone goes, oh, that guy's a racist. Really? He's a racist? Can you tell Ben Carson, Herschel Walker, Daryl Strawberry, Jim Brown, George Foreman, Mike Tyson? That's just off the top of my head. Cut eight is DeRoy Murdoch, also an African-American Wall Street Journal Fox News contributor. Cut eight. This is the second time I've heard Joe Biden 
refer to this quote in the last couple of weeks, and the left brings it up all the, all the time, and they only give you part of the quote, which, of course, looks really bad for President Trump. He said, actually, in Charlottesville in August of, of 2017, there are very fine people on both sides, very fine people who are protesting very quietly, taking down of the statue of Robert E. Lee. And then he continued, I'm not, repeat, not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists because they should be condemned totally. He also referred to these as rough, bad people. So the left always likes to talk about the first half of that quote, which doesn't look very good. They leave off the second half of the quote, and that's all designed to uh, advance this, this lie, this narrative that uh, President Trump is some sort of a white nationalist. It's true. But the president doesn't apologize, number one. Number two is he just said it made it clear the next day, and they went back and forth on this crazy issue. But what the president did and he's done, done since is standing up for our heritage and our background. The good, bad, and ugly. George Washington, great guy, had slaves. The whole world had slaves. Uh, leading up to that, Brazil had more slaves than anybody else. But prior to George Washington being born, there were slaves in this country. His family had the slaves at Mount Vernon. So he ends up being this 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 president that had a plantation, but without George Washington, we don't have a country. Without Benjamin Franklin, we don't have a country. He came out against slavery. Great. Thomas Jefferson had a plantation. His dad had these slaves. He wanted to get rid of them. He didn't. That's a flaw. But without Thomas Jefferson, we don't have the Declaration of Independence. We don't have inspiration. We don't have one of the smartest people on the planet that helped America be born. And that's the president's point. Since when have become so sanctimonious that we look back at our past and we just destroy it? Let's go back to the Revolutionary War. Let's talk about how these uh, these armies got divided up and what was going on. And I do think it's worthy of having a conversation about the Confederacy. But that's what was happening. And it was just beginning then. Just beginning. So you had the president going before and after this convention. Shows how much he wants to win. And just like very unconventional speech and inappropriate speech in my mind for Barack Obama, you had President of the United States speaking during the day and doing interviews with Sean Hannity at night on television. So he was able to get his point of view off while the Democrats teed off on him. Next week, he's going to have four days. He says he's going to have a presence in all four days. I also want to hear from Melania. I want to hear from Lindsey Graham, Jim Jordan. I want to hear from Nikki Haley. I want to hear from Mike Pompeo and talk about what has been accomplished because there's been a lot. The pandemic has overwhelmed everything. The Mueller report has overwhelmed a lot. Believe it or not, the Ukraine happened in between and the impeachment took place. But in between, there were a whole lot of accomplishments and a lot of economic prosperity. Terry, listening on WDBO in Orlando, Florida. Hey, Brian, I have a question. Going back to the um, incident in Portland where the guy was drug chased and then drug out of his truck and um, beat up. Uh, My point is that all started because he stopped to try to defend and help a transgender person. Where I watched the whole video. That person was robbed and bothered and harassed by those thugs from Antifa and Black Lives Matter for minutes. I haven't heard one liberal or one trans activist come out and I know. condemn the violence against if that I'm going to make you angry, Terry. You ready this? I put on I, a lot of times I watch uh, David Muir's repeat when I'm up at 2:30 in the morning and they have a big story and I thought about a transgender attacks and I said, "Wow, they're going to do this story 2 days late. They're going to do it." It was about transgender three people 
uh, who were attacked for being transgender in Los Angeles. Really? Yeah. It had it, nothing it, to do it, with it, Portland or civil unrest, just random attacks. Not the one will, that spurred right, the almost I'll, death of the, the hero that stood up. Right. I'll just tell you, Brian, we have a saying in the South, you kiss your mama with that mouth because all the lies that come out of their mouth, it, it's ridiculous. They, they're they not standing up. It, it's it's crazy, Brian. Gotcha. But, yeah, where, where are they? Why are they not condemning the violence against that trans person? I hear you. you know? I appreciate it. Uh, listen, uh, write me, BrianKillMe.com. You can just click on there, and you'll have my comments come to me. But we have a lot to discuss. This thing is just heating up. It's been a wild summer. I get it. But it's going to be a crazy fall, maybe even in a good way, as we see a real race. If the president can close in the polls, it'll force Biden out. Then all bets are off. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks, thanks so much for listening, everybody. I'm excited for this hour here from New York and heard around the country. Chris, Christie, uh, the governor of New Jersey, former governor of New Jersey, a man with a lot of opinions and insight, will be with us shortly. Uh, in about 34 minutes, next, Geraldo will be with us. He just uh, joined us on television as we get this news now that uh, the coronavirus has hit New York. It looks like the Mets had a coach and a player test positive. So they will be playing the Yankees this weekend, and they will not be playing. the. They didn't play the Marlins last night for two members. I don't understand. Test the players, isolate the infected, and keep playing. You have a triple-A team. Call up four players, exterminate the place, maybe take off a day. But the Marlins can't afford to miss any more games. Guys, come up with a better plan. Uh, meanwhile, uh, we, of course, uh, wrapping up the DNC. We're looking forward to the RNC. And, we'll, of course, whatever the news story is going to surprise us, like Steve Bannon's arrest yesterday. So let's get to the big three. I don't think strategically it's where we should go right now because the Republicans would like to pass something like that and say, forget about it. Forget about state and local. Forget about our investments in stopping the virus. Uh, Let's talk strategy in the middle of a pandemic. Speaker Nancy Pelosi on PBS saying she'll not be going for a skinny bill. Uh, because that would just handle the post office and a few other things that are like the PPP loans to small business owners. Coronavirus cases are dropping. We keep our fingers crossed that continues. We hope the worst is over as Congress comes back to work. And we're now in the middle of a post office hearing right now. Number two. It seems to me that after tonight, Donald Trump is going to have to run against a candidate, not a caricature. Chris Wallace, uh, effusive in his praise of Joe Biden's speech last night. I thought it was good. I would not be high-fiving if I was in the Biden camp because he completed a 16-minute speech. Next up, Trump and the RNC. What should the GOP have learned from the four-day telethon for the DNC? We'll talk about that in this pandemic-sensitive campaign era. Number one. I'm a proud Democrat, and I'll be proud to carry the banner of our party into the general election. So it's with great honor and humility I accept this nomination. 
for president of the United States of America. He's finally finished the DNC in the books. We look at Joe Biden's long-awaited speech, one of the shortest in history, well-written, well-delivered, but was it seeped in fact? I say no. We analyze and to a degree let President Trump answer the charges. He had a speech in Pennsylvania first and hopped on with Sean Hannity after. And now for a man who always hops on with Sean Hannity, Geraldo Rivera. Hi, Geraldo. Hi, Brian. How are you? Happy Her, Friday. The same to you. The bar was low, but but it looks like Biden finished across the bar, right? Oh, no doubt about it. The speech was, as you suggest, well-written and, and powerfully, or if not powerfully, at least competently uh, delivered. Uh, he, he portrayed himself, and I think uh, the, the viewers uh, agreed as someone who could be conceivably president of the United States. I think he answered a lot of questions in that regard. But as you uh, as you also suggested, Brian, we thought we'd have a, 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 a drooling, uh, you know, blathering, uh, lost, uh, senile old man wandering around the stage in his pajamas. Uh, you know, the bar was set so low that anyone, you know, if you put together two paragraphs, it was a triumph. And he did more than that. He delivered a 16-minute speech uh, with the verve and uh, conviction. It was well-rehearsed. It was obvious. Uh, uh, very well written, and uh, I, I think now the stage is set. Uh, this is the high watermark for the Biden campaign. Uh, there's no way to go from here but down. Uh, the Republicans are going to savage them, and I think that next weekend's polls will tell the tale, Brian. Interesting. Uh, and uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, the most intriguing thing is this, Geraldo, is that Joe Biden said, I don't want to, he never said he wanted to defund the police. He said, I will redirect some funds to one of his supporters. He never said that I'm going to ban fracking. He never said, I am going to take down the wall. Now, there are, and get rid of oil and gas, but the people supporting him have, and the voice they have will decide what kind of administration he will have, which how do you get through the body armor to get to the heart of the policy when you can actually sit shoulder to shoulder with the president and say, uh, Mr. President, I never said all these things that you were accusing me of saying. The problem is he signed a document with Bernie Sanders that says that they're in agreement that they're going to work towards these things. So fight against that. Tell, tell me right now, if you're President Trump, fight against something that you really can't see. Well, I think that the the boogeyman next week for the uh, from the the Democrats' point of view, the uh, well, the, the Republicans will make of the far left wing of the Democratic Party the boogeyman. That's my my point. I think that the Republicans will uh, absolutely attempt to uh, uh, to burden Biden with uh, the most radical policies of his most radical supporters. And uh, will that stick? I don't know. I mean. Uh, they talk about Venezuela and that kind of stuff. I think that's uh, that's fine. I, I I think the more visceral stuff will be uh, Hunter Biden and uh, Ukraine and China and uh, you know they'll they'll try to chip away at the facade of the Bidens as uh, as honest brokers as good old guys as as people you could depend on. They'll they'll try their best to you know to dirty him up, mess him up. I I I would like the president. I, I understand his. Uh, uh, you know, his anxiety right now, because the polls do show him trailing. But I think that if he were to show some of the shining city on the hill, Reagan-esque kind of uh, attitude, uh, you know, strength, uh, but 
uh, but class uh, and not uh, leave the attacking uh, to others, I, I think that it would serve him in good stead. I, I, I believe that the, the race will be tied by next weekend. I, I think that the, in the, certainly in the battleground states, like the one I'm in right now, I, I believe that it's very, very close. Uh, the, every, the, the gloves are off. It's going to be savage knife fighting. Uh, Trump's got uh, that verve and, uh, the, you know, that physical presence. Biden's going to be disadvantaged in those three debates, the first of which is here in Cleveland on September 29th. Uh, I, I, I think that what we're going to see is an all-out brawl, Brian. I did not like what the Obamas did uh, to Trump, uh, trying Neither to make I. him uh, a mass murderer with 170,000 plague victims' blood on his hands. I thought that was really low class for a high class couple. Uh, but, uh, you know, it also, in a sense, frees Trump to be Trump, uh, to go after Biden as a, you know, a bumbling old uh, fool being manipulated by AOC and the others in the squad. Brian. So a couple of things, Geraldo. I want you to hear what Bernie Sanders said, because he was asked, because people know that if Sanders leaves with his supporters, Biden can't win. So why would Sanders go along with something like he barely went along with Hillary, if he feels he's not going to be heard. Somebody told Sanders he's going to be heard. But listen to him yesterday, cut 21. I asked Alexandria. Uh, we were told by the Biden campaign, which was fine, uh, that you'll, you can, uh, you'll have two one-minute slots, uh, one to nominate you and one to uh, second you. And we had Bob King, who's the former president uh, of the United Automobile Workers. Uh, Bob nominated me. And Alexandria seconded me. And I think what the DNC was saying is, oh, you know, she's speaking. No, I mean, they didn't invite her. I think they should have. That's a whole other story. They should have invited well, her that, more. What's the, what's, the, what's the story there? Well, I mean, the story is they should have had more progressive speaking, giving them speaking spots. So why is he being so compliant unless he feels as though that manifesto is something is basically a deal and they're going to start moving this direction? I don't know what they got hatched in that regard, but I, I, I will tell you that Bernie Sanders' endorsement of Joe Biden was a hell of a lot more sincere and powerful than his endorsement of Hillary Clinton. I think he sabotaged Hillary Clinton uh, when he, uh, you know, he, he let progressives know that it would be okay to skip voting uh, for Hillary uh, because of the dirty tricks that she played on him in the nominating process in 2016. Now I thought that. Uh, uh, Senator Sanders really was uh, sincerely in Joe Biden's camp. As to the progressive wing of the party, uh, you know, you know how Washington works, uh, you know, Brian. It's it's not it's not that easy to pass things like Green New Deals, uh, especially when uh, you know if the Republicans hold the Senate. But even if they don't, uh, remember how hard it was to get Obamacare. They're getting rid of the filibuster. They're basically yeah, yeah. President Obama said it at John Lewis's funeral. Schumer said everything's on the table if they get the Senate. Goodbye, filibuster. Well, maybe. But remember, that works both ways. Uh, the Republicans will be back in power. And, uh, you know, the, the thing about Mitch McConnell and I think Nancy Pelosi, they have institutional memory. Uh, you know, you, you want to blow up uh, the, uh, you know, the rules that have existed for generations now. Uh, for what? Uh, you know, what advantage do you get? I, 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 I'm, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I, I think that radical 
governance in America is extremely difficult to do. We have a, you know, we're a very conservative country in, in, uh, in that regard. We don't want to just change our institutions. I, I think gradualism is Biden's approach, and I think that's a good approach. And I, I think that if we can just get past this damn plague, and, and, uh, and President Trump is the victim of the worst, hot, the most horrible timing uh, in the history of politics, the fact that he's running, if, if only the election was in February, uh, everybody would be online getting vaccinated already. The attitude of the country would be much different. The stock market would be wild, uh, you know, be going crazy by February. But the problem is the election's in November, and he's got a real challenge as a result, Brian. I just have some news now. Uh, record home sales. The U.S. existing home sales rose 24.7 percent in June and July. Uh, a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 5.86 million, the highest rate since 2006. Economists surveyed by the Wall Street Journal expect a 14.2 percent. It ends up 10 percent higher. Man, that is great news. So everybody's leaving the city. Everybody's leaving the cities. They, you know, there are tens of thousands of vacant apartments in uh, in New York and the other Democrat-run cities because people are buying uh, homes in the suburbs or building homes in the suburbs where they can be safe, where they could uh, have some control over their lives. Uh, you know, this is going to be an urban uh, flight and uh, urban decay that rivals the post-1968 riot climate, I think, if uh, the Democrats get in charge. You brought this up on television. I want to bring you to this now. Joe Biden is going to win this. If he wins the election, he's going to do it without campaigning. And he's doing it under the, under the guise of being responsible. And if the, what will it take is Trump has got to pull even or past him for him to come out. Because if Harris travels, it makes him look bad, like he's afraid to travel. And I'm saying to myself, at one point, he's got to go out and start giving interviews and doing things. But he might not. Lester Holt asked Jill Biden this today. Cut 23. I think most people get the idea of having a virtual convention owing, of course, to the virus. But, you know, campaigns sometimes are won or lost in that ability to get out there to the battleground states, to meet people, to press the flesh. Have the two of you discussed your your tolerance, your risk tolerance uh, this campaign season for getting outside Delaware, getting out to the, some of the battleground states? Well, you know, Lester, we are getting to thousands and thousands of people every single day. We're virtually going into three, four, five states a day. But, you know, there, we want nothing more than to be able to get out there and talk to the people. So once the experts say it's safe, we're going to be out on the trail. What experts is she talking about? President Trump is out. Pence is out. His surrogates are out. Is she is she they really want to sell us on this? I, I was with the president who was here in Ohio last week. And the rules for being with the president are so different now. I mean, and, and you know, I've known him forever. We see each other, how you doing, how you doing? And you are literally ten feet apart. Then he motioned me to get closer, so I got six feet apart. It's uh it's so weird. But they are both sides are very keen, obviously, on, on preventing uh, key people, including the candidates themselves, from being infected with this damn, uh, this killer. But he virus. went to Iowa, Milwaukee, Arizona and Pennsylvania. And he did it safely. And I, if you look at and, and I think that as a result, next week's Republican National Convention will have many more humans involved uh, on site 
uh, they'll they'll do the distancing. They'll wear masks. I'm confident. Uh, but uh, you're going to see a, a much more, it, almost a more traditional kind of con- convention compared to the Democrats' convention. But you can't in any way be seen as minimizing, uh, you know, the 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 necessary uh, use of masks and so forth, washing hands and so forth. But, but he, he's, he's trying he's to sell. He can't campaign anymore, Geraldo. You know he can't do a crowd. He can't ad lib, and he's, he's terrible in interviews. Joe so Biden they're going to act like he is being responsible. I, he, I've never, he, it's, a, it's a game. It is a game, but, you know, it's a game they've played successfully up until now. You know, he's got the dual interview with David, uh, David Muir and Robin Roberts uh, uh, going to interview him and Kamala. I think that what you'll see is whenever they do an interview, they're going to try and sell them both as a, as a ticket, and she's going to do most of the talking. I, I think that their strategy is to use the, the vivacious, historic uh, vice presidential nominee, uh, Kamala Harris, Senator Harris, as the, you know, the, the – Big sister, and Biden will be there to, you know, uh, the color commentator to fill in the gas, Brian. Interesting. Geraldo, have a great weekend. Thanks so much. You too, brother. All okay, right. Okay, see you next week. Hey, listen, when we come back, I'm going to open up the phones. I see you out there in WABC, WDBO. I'll uh, see you at WOKV. Uh, so all you guys are lining up. I appreciate it. And then we got Chris Christie. He's always got stuff to say. Last night, he was effusive for Joe Biden, who says he's a friend of his. one 408 You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You know, a lot of people knew, of course, knew who Joe Biden was. He's the Democratic nominee for president. But they only knew that he was Barack Obama's vice president and that he wasn't Donald Trump. And he gave us a lot more to work with last night. A lot of Democrats like Bakari and others who may not have supported him in the primary, uh, you know, something to, to wrap their arms around and get excited about. And that's pretty important for this period of time, just over 70 days out from the election. Jen Psaki, longtime uh, surrogate for uh, Obama, helping out Trump. Nick is listening on WABC in Rockland, New York. Hey, Nick. Yeah, Brian, I'd like to make, yeah, Brian, I'd like to make two points. Uh, one about Biden brought up Charlottesville uh, again yesterday, and it's just a lie. If you, look at the whole, if you look at the whole line of Trump, he did condemn the Nazis. And my second point is that you know I played that earlier in the show, Nick. I don't know if the WABC picked up that hour, but I played exactly what he said, and I play what the accusation is again. But go ahead. Yeah, and my second point is um, he said he's going to stand with allies and not cozy up the dictators. Well, he abandoned Israel and um, cozied up to Iran, so that's just he's a complete hypocrite. And what about the fact that he told did Barack Obama tell Vladimir I'll have a, I'll be able to be much more flexible in my second four years after the election? And how about the fact that in China he kissed up to them for years? Don't tell me that the president's kissing up to China at this point. All right. He gave he, them an opportunity. Wants, all right, he's doing it to make a deal. He's not doing it because he's a friend. Thank you, Adam. WABC in New Jersey. Hey, Adam. Good morning, Brian. Um, my, I, I have a personal friend who uh, works at a, a, a large mail sorting facility in New Jersey, and uh, 11, uh, I believe it was 11 uh, sorting machines were removed. 
Um, that friend who also called his regional manager for, um, uh, for his personal uh, for his area where he lives, and he was part, he was told by the regional manager that mail was um, uh, that overtime was was uh, taken uh, off the board. So if a, a mail carrier did not finish uh, delivering his mail after uh, his shift, yeah, I mean the question is, Adam, back. you know this guy was brought in. To stop the bleeding, he was changing the system of the postal service. That's before we even were talking about mail-in ballots that are going to blanket entire states with no infrastructure. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. And the word is you're using Chris Christie to play Joe Biden. Well, no, I'm not using Chris. Chris is a friend of mine. That got out there. You know, everybody says, oh, I'm, I'm doing, I'm helping Trump with this. I'm helping. No, I'm not. I get along with Chris. He's good. And I may use him. I used him last time to play uh, the role of Hillary Clinton. Uh, there were big differences there between those two, I will tell you. Big differences. But hmm. Chris was good. He's tough. Hmm. Uh, Chris Christie joins us now. I don't even know if you heard that because I don't know how close you're following my career now, uh, Governor. <laughs> but I did ask the president that question for you, hoping that I'd book you soon. You got it. Here I am. So what do you think? Has he reached out to you? Was he Has he reached out I, to you about helping him? I speak to the president on a regular basis, and um, and I try to help him in every way I can. As for any more specifics, we just keep that between me and the president. And me. Let's just make it the three of us. Well, if it was just the three of us, Brian, but I know how huge your audience is. So <laughs> um, it's, not, it's not just us right now. But I, listen, you know I've been friends with the president now for nearly 20 years. I was the first uh, elected official to endorse him um, in, uh, in early, late February of, of 2016. And he's been a friend for a long time. So I, I always try to help the president in any way that I can. Um, and if uh, if he needs my help on anything specifically, he's not shy, as you know, and, and, and he'll ask and um, I'll continue to help him. But if as for the rest of it, just between me and the president. So, Governor, after I saw Joe Biden last night and I watched the repeat, I didn't stay up. I got this other job. I yeah. watched it. I said the president has to approach this debate like Joe Biden will show up and be ready. He no longer should approach it if he was like you have a guy that's clearly diminished. Am I right in that? You are. And I can tell you that the president never was approaching it that way. The president, in my conversations with him, has always taken Joe Biden very seriously and said he was going to be a formidable debater um, and opponent. And so, um, you know, that was, you know, listen, you know, that was not something that I've ever heard the president say. Um, In fact, I've heard him say the exact opposite. And I think what last night showed was two things in my mind, Brian. The first is that um, Joe Biden um, is is got his emotion um, and his passion behind his candidacy. He's ready to go. He's been preparing for this, by the way, Brian, for 33 years. You know, he first ran for president in 1987. So he had 33 years to get ready for that night last night. Um, so he's ready. But the second thing is you didn't hear any specifics last night. None. Joe Biden. And the reason for that 
is because his specifics would scare the bejesus out of America. And he knows it. It's a crazy left-wing liberal agenda that he has been captive of now and he gave into in order to get the nomination and that he will pursue if he's elected. So I think the biggest thing the president has to do in our in our convention coming up this week with his speech is to lay out the specifics of what he wants to do the next four years and to that will force Joe Biden to lay out his specifics. And then we've got a ball game, Brian, because America is going to support what Donald Trump wants to do much more than what Joe Biden, AOC um, and Elizabeth Warren want to do. Governor, I, I hear you, but let's play this out. He never said, even though he might uh, in order to get elected and it would alienate this next generation of racial justice warriors, perhaps that to fund the police. He never said, I'm going to take the border wall down and decriminalize border crossings. Kamala Harris did. Defund the police is something that AOC wants to do. Uh, He never came out and said, I'm going to stop fracking, get rid of oil and gas. He says things like, I'm an all in. I never said defund the police. I used one time I said redirect. So he is going to be amorphous. It's hard to throw a punch at something that won't stand in front of you or have at least a chalk outline. Correct. How do you get him to come out with what he will be responsible to actually do? Well, first of all, Brian, uh, on one issue on the border, he did raise his hand in that debate saying he wanted to decriminalize the border. Right. So you've got him on that one. We've got video on him raising his hands with all the rest of the liberals on that stage. My point is Joe Biden will continue to do this as long as the president continues to not be specific. And unfortunately, the president hasn't been specific yet about what he wants to do with four more years. He's got to do that Thursday, because when he does, the media will go back and start asking Joe Biden, well, what about this and what about that, that the president wants to do? And Joe Biden is in a a fix. Like last night, um, I was on TV with a woman next to me from an organization called Democracy for America, which is a far progressive organization. And she was not very happy with Joe Biden's speech last night because she didn't hear specifics on things that the progressive movement wants. You know, winning elections, Brian, is twofold. It's getting your base up, elevated and ready to vote. And it's dividing the other side. And so part of what Donald Trump needs to do is force Joe Biden to take positions on these issues by taking them himself and then He's going to have some problems if he doesn't toe the progressive line. A lot of those progressives may just say, you know what, we're not going to be with Joe Biden. And and if we can divide them, um, that's a that's a way of us also helping our cause. Fascinating. A couple of things. Do you believe the president's trailing in most battleground states? Um, Yes, I do. But I think it's it's kind of within the margin of error in a number of them. And just outside the margin of error, I think this eight to 10 point stuff that you see nationally is skewed because of bad um, sampling, but also skewed because, you know, states like California and New York um, get an get an overweight in those kind of things because of their large population. Um, Their electoral votes don't count more than once, Brian. So um, that's why no one should look at national polls. I do think the president is behind right now. I think he'll be behind after last night. Because I think Joe Biden and and the Democrats had a good week. They did what they needed to do. Um, But now we get our week. And then the campaign's on. Are you speaking? I am not. No, I'll be working 
I'll be working at my other job um, on ABC um, all week uh, in the evenings. So, so I, 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 four years ago, I was the governor and was able to speak. But four years later, I have, a, I have a job at ABC that I have to do, so I'm not available to speak. By the way, uh, you're the only reason why I watched This Week with George Stephanopoulos. Not that I'm against anybody there, but it's the same stuff. You're the only one who they actually let finish a sentence that I don't know exactly what you're going to say. You're not a cheerleader. You'll call the president out when he needs to be called out, even though he's your friend and you talk to him. But it always makes it interesting, especially when you line up with Rahm Emanuel, who seems to forget that he was unable to establish law and order in the inner city. Which brings me to my next topic. I have never seen such a major story be so ignored by every major network. The violence in Portland, Chicago, Seattle, Philadelphia, and New York. New York has leveled off a little bit, but it's, it's, it's pretty vicious when it happens. Has been ignored. How do you highlight that this week? Well, I think what you talk about is um, the fact that if, if the American people want a backstop against governors, liberal governors and liberal mayors who don't want to do their job to enforce law and order, then you need to have a President Trump because the President Biden simply won't do that. And I, I think that's the way you talk about it, is that the president doesn't want to go into any of these cities. He has no interest. He's got plenty of other work to do. But if liberal governors like the governor of Minnesota, who really, you know, began this entire cycle, if he had done his job the way he was supposed to in Minnesota, I don't believe we would have had the expanding violence that we've had across the entire country. Um, so we need to make sure that we have a president who is willing to step in only when liberal governors and liberal mayors are unwilling to do their own job. They should be the line of first defense. And that's the way the president should talk about it, that I'm there to be the last line of defense to make sure that the American right. people and their property is protected. Governor Christie with us now. You all know his voice. The guy who replaced him, Governor Phil Murphy, is getting sued by the Trump campaign because out of nowhere he decides, I am going to have mail-in voting. Every New Jersey in each huge state is getting a ballot. Here he is reacting to the fact that he's being sued because we'll, we'll discuss the, the, the downside of that. Cut 49. We're in a pandemic, so we're balancing public health with the sacred right at the center of democracy to vote. We, we, we deployed a hybrid model in our primary in July. It largely worked really well. We gave people the choice to vote by mail or to show up and vote in person. We've tweaked it, we've made it stronger, we've made it better, and that's what we'll do in November. This isn't new in New Jersey, it isn't new in America. The president has voted by mail, I've voted by mail. Uh, what we're saying to folks is, listen, you're gonna get a ballot, and you can either fill that ballot out and put it in the mail, or you could drop it off at what will be hundreds of secure drop boxes, or by the way, even show up on election day and hand your ballot to a poll worker, or you could show up and vote in person. Uh, it's, it's a hybrid model. It exudes flexibility. We think it protects public health and preserves the right at the center of democracy uh, for everyone to vote and have their vote count. What's the problem with this? Well, here's the problem. First off, um, it's going to take forever to process those votes. Let me give you um, an example. Um, in New Jersey, we just had a primary in July. And we had almost exclusively vote by mail. The governor is saying, oh, you know, we we uh, we allowed a hybrid model. 
he was telling everybody not to go to the polls um, and to, um, you know, to, to vote um, by mail. So what happened as a result? We did not. We had a Senate primary here in, in New Jersey um, this, this past year to nominate our person um, against uh, Senator Cory Booker. It took us four weeks, Brian, four weeks before we had the results of that election. Now, that's completely ridiculous. Um, it, 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 and you're talking about in New Jersey, um, the number of people who voted in the Republican primary is a fraction of the number of people who will vote um, in, uh, in our election come uh, this November. And so, you know, the problem here is that, number one, you're not going to wind up getting people um, results anytime soon. Number two, uh, you're allowing folks. So, like, for instance, in New Jersey, you only had about 275,000 people vote in the Republican primary and about 700,000 vote in the Democrats. So you're talking about a little over a million people voting on the primary day. You're going to have close to 4 million people, four times that, voting um, on, on uh, general election day. That's going to be insane, Brian. And the, it's not about the post office. This has been a ridiculous story. I have absolutely every confidence in the fact that the post office, which handles over 400 million pieces of mail a day right now, efficiently and effectively, um, in terms of delivery, if not in terms of price and cost, um, if you had 100 million ballots that if everybody in America voted by mail, that's a quarter of what they do every day. So that's a ridiculous thing. What the real problem is, is the county clerks across this country do not have the personnel nor the equipment to read these mail-in ballots quickly enough. It could very well be weeks before we find out who won a particular state. Now, Governor- not to mention, last part, fraud. And, you know, you know my, one of my predecessors, Brendan Byrne, um, a, a former governor, used to say, when I, I made my wife promise when I die— that she'll bury me in Hudson County, New Jersey, so I can remain active in politics. Um, <laughs> we don't want a bunch of ballots floating around out there, Brian, because in close states, that could really lead to a, a bad result. Governor, doesn't he know that? Of course he does. So why is he of doing it? He because it gives, he believes it may give an advantage in a state like New Jersey to his party because there's a million more Democrats than Republicans in New Jersey. And if you actually send people a ballot... Whether they've asked for it or not, he says we've always had vote by mail. Well, yes, we've had vote by mail, no fault absentee, where if you want to vote by mail, you have to make a request to the county clerk yes. in writing with your signature. And then and only then do they send you a ballot. Now we're going to have ballots. We haven't cleaned up. We tried to clean up the voter rolls in New Jersey and had some success with it. When we were in um, when we were in office, but we got fought every step of the way by the Democrats who want to continue to have people who are not eligible to vote or maybe registered in multiple places because they've moved, continue to be on the ball- on the rolls and they'll get ballots in a couple of different places. Not fair. And if you show up, it's provisional. If you show up and vote, it's provisional. Right. And Anthony Fauci, that esteemed scientist who we all look up to, uh, he said it is okay to vote. And that's what people are saying. I, th- I think the way that it's so easy to characterize the president because he's so direct and sometimes ham-handed about it. Oh, he wants to hide voting. He, he wants to make it hard for people to vote. No, I just want the right vote, and we should do the best we can to get a verdict on Election Day. My fear is what happened in Arizona where it looks like 
One said the Republican won on election day, and it's Senator Cinema. McSally won on election day. Senator Cinema won the next week. Can you imagine yeah. if Trump wins election day or Biden wins election day, and then Trump ends up winning? What this country will happen in this country? Oh no! Listen, it, it, either way, it would be awful. And people deserve to have their vote counted and counted as quickly as possible and for people to get a result. Because let's remember, the transition is a very short one in America. And I remember I was involved in the Bush 2000 campaign and how short that transition was. And it really puts any administration at a disadvantage um, and it puts the country in a bad place. We shouldn't want that. We shouldn't. We should want those votes to be done. And by the way, in New Jersey, um, you know, Governor Murphy's concerned about people waiting in line. He still has people, and you know this because you guys have reported on it, waiting four and five hours in line at motor vehicle to get license plates, to get driver's license yep. renewals, registrations. That's okay. He's and, and it's been going on now day after day after day rather than just election day. Why is that okay and not a threat to public health? Why isn't he getting some type of more mail-in options for that, but he's doing this for elections? He's a hypocrite. Lastly, and he can't explain that. I I'm can't sure. either. Uh, I've never seen a guy at a press conference just not say anything, uh, just turn it over to the other people like he does. But lastly, the Mets have two player, uh, a coach and a player test positive. No Yankee Met game uh, this weekend. There's no series. They called off the game last night. You're the biggest Met fan around. We got a better, better plan than this. Call up AAA, replace them, fumigate the room, test the players, and get them back on the field. Come on. No, absolutely right. And you know, listen, I think it'll be interesting to see who these folks are and, and, and how they uh, and how they uh, got this, um, whether it happened in Miami or it happened in Philadelphia before that. Um, the Mets have been doing really well up to this point. They have played as many games or more games than any team in the major leagues. Um, now we're going to have a setback here right before Subway Series weekend. Um, and we started at, we are actually starting to play well. We had won three in a row. Um, so this is a this is a shame. I think what you're seeing, though, Brian, is that the professional sports that went to a bubble, um, the hot NHL and the yeah. NBA, have had no problems. There is an inherent problem in traveling, unfortunately, right now for these folks because of their exposure to right. different hotels and different folks that you run into, and it's very hard to control it. Um, so, you know, I'm hoping that it doesn't do irreparable damage to the baseball season in general, and certainly as a Mets fan. After we won three in a row, it's typical for the Mets. You know, we couldn't have gotten this during a three-game losing streak. We had to get it for a three-game winning streak. Right, Brian? Now you're ranting. Governor Chris Christie, always <laughs> great. Thanks so much, sir. Kilby, you are the best. Thanks for having me on and ask me anytime. I love coming back. You got it. Back in a moment. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Brian Kilmeade back. Sorry I went a little long with the governor, but I just love talking to him. He's got so, he's so direct. When someone opens up and says, I'm good friends with the president, and then we'll be critical of the president, knowing that he doesn't have any animus, I think it makes him so valuable. Always love having him here. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. 
Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. Susan Lee is going to be with us. She's one of the business experts on Fox Business. Uh, she's on television. She's going to take a brief time out to talk about these new housing numbers, up 24% in terms of housing sales. So that's good. Yesterday's jobless claims, not great, but shows trending in the right direction. And now it's all going to be about the economy and how we are recovering and how we get control of this virus. Susan Lee is going to be with us. And Shannon Bream. Even though her show is 12 hours away, she's getting up. She's Fox News' legal correspondent. We'll talk a little about Steve Bannon's situation, and we'll also talk about the coverage last night. Of course, she'd had another great wrap-up show. So let's get to the big three. I don't think strategically it's where we should go right now because the Republicans would like to pass something like that and say, forget about it. Forget about state and local. Forget about our investments in stopping the virus. So interesting. Speaker Pelosi not looking to come together in a deal. I've never heard that before. Coronavirus cases and deaths drop. Not over. I get it. But is the worst over? Let's think about it. Congress, a skinny deal. Mark Meadows brought that up. Chief of Staff. Should we get something done to fund some of these programs while we try to get a bigger deal? It looks like the speaker says no. Number two. It seems to me that after tonight, Donald Trump is going to have to run against a candidate, not a caricature. Chris Wallace noting that Joe Biden was able to clear the very low bar. Next up, Trump and the RNC. What should the GOP have learned from the four-day telethon we all lived through? And what does this pandemic-sensitive campaign look like from here? Number one. I'm a proud Democrat, and I'll be proud to carry the banner of our party into the general election. So it's with great honor and humility I accept this nomination it's for finally, President of the United States of America. It's finally finished. The DNC is in the books. We look at Joe Biden's long-awaited speech, one of the shortest in history, but it was well-written, solidly delivered. But was it steeped in fact? We're going to analyze to a degree and let President Trump answer the charges that were thrown at him in his prequel and his wrap-up with Sean Hannity. Uh, and by the way, we do, uh, we're coming to you from New York where uh, the Mets and Yankees are going to be suspended because two Mets, uh, a coach and a player, have tested positive for the coronavirus. Also, uh, Jim Baker has too, the longtime confidant of the Bush family, uh, former Secretary of State, as well as Senator... Uh, we have uh, also a sitting senator who I forgot. Is this Senator Campbell? We'll find out uh, from Louisiana. Uh, let's go out to Shan- Cassidy. Excuse me. Uh, Shannon Bream, Fox News legal analyst, anchor of Fox News at night. Hey, Shannon. Hey, yeah. And Senator Cassidy, just to remind everyone's a doctor, too. So he has been doing some work, but he says it wasn't that. I don't think he was exposed to somebody and just an abundance of caution got tested and I think he's like so many of these cases, asymptomatic as far as I know, um, and still feeling good, doing his thing, but staying away from people. I just want to know, too, Shannon, I think you got to tell me what kind of test it is. After what happened with Governor DeWine where, of, of Ohio, right. where he tested positive, mm-hmm. he was had to go in, apologize to everybody, and then he tested negative twice in a row. 
I know it's it's nuts, and there are different tests. There are all kinds of things that have been quickly rushed out because, as you know, it's testing is critical, and people want it out there, um, but it's not infallible. We've heard warnings about that. What I find fascinating is this piece that was in the Wall Street Journal, I think it was yesterday, talking about the enormously high numbers of antibodies where people can see if they've had it and recovered, and that it's probably so much bigger of a number than we know because so much of it has been asymptomatic, and people have, for different reasons, been able to fight off the virus without getting terrified terribly, terribly sick. In most of the cases, it sounds like. Well, the numbers are going down across the country, not everywhere. Mississippi is still going up. California is not under control. But what blows me away about California is they're basically locked down and the numbers still aren't getting under control. Mm-hmm. Early on, they reacted strongly. The numbers stayed down, but it's not now. I think there's a whole lot we don't know about this virus, which I know, I know doesn't reassure people. But I think that if Joe Biden tells this country that he, when he takes over, we're going to lock down, I don't think he gets a vote. I think we're over that. Yeah, and it's interesting because I, I think some of what he has floated um, yeah. is not going to be legal. I mean, you know, and I think a lot of it's going to end up right back in the court system. And, you know, I think everybody agrees we don't want anyone to needlessly be sick or lose a life. It's tragic and terrible. And all of us at this point have probably known someone that's been touched by this or our own families. It is a terrible thing. But when you destroy an entire economy and leave thousands, if not millions of people without a way to put food on the table, that can be even more destructive. And finding the balance, goodness gracious, it's like Solomon. I I wouldn't want to have to figure it out. I pray for our leaders seriously every day to figure it out. But you can't just do one part of the solution um, and destroy the rest of the economy with the other. I mean, it's a sledgehammer. A couple of things before we dive into the speech last night. Uh, How much trouble is Steve Bannon in? I don't know. The indictment doesn't sound good. Uh, of course, he they never do. Um, yeah. Uh, so it, the question is, you know, you see all these people saying, look at all these people close to the president who have gotten caught up in criminal activity and accusation. So then the question becomes like, OK, are there a bunch of creepy people around him or are they all being targeted, his inner circle, by the SDNY, that that um, Southern District of New York? Uh, that seems to continue to bring cases against everyone they can connected to Trump. So that's a question, and that can maybe is a Rorschach test that people see it one way or the other. Either it's, yeah, he's got a lot of creepy people in his orbit who are questionable, or um, the people close to him are being targeted by law enforcement and by these um, you know, U.S. attorneys who have an agenda. I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of both. Um, a couple of things. I'm just going to tell you what I know. He's probably one of the smartest people I've ever heard speak. I got a chance to know him a little bit. Number one. Number two, he doesn't need money. Um, it, to me, he he likes causes, That's doesn't need true. money. I don't know what his bank account is, but he's a multimillionaire and has been really since his 30s. And to think he's going to risk his freedom to take a money from a GoFundMe page, uh, it, it just is illogical. But we'll find out more in the last two weeks. I think people are running to convict him. And I'm saying, wait, there's a huge difference. And you know that because you live this life. Number number two is the president's taxes. What happened yesterday and what does it mean legally? So remember, um, folks, just to recap, this went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court said, yes, um, people, there can be ways for access to the president's uh, records, but it has to be done in a proper way. It's got to have a legitimate motive, all of these kinds of things. So there were the two different cases, the one about the House committees who are trying to get the financial records. And the other one is this grand jury, the prosecutor in, again, the Southern District of New York, uh, up there in New York, who wants to, at the state level, though, get a look at 
financial records of the presidents. Um, and so the president went back because the, the Supreme Court decision left uh, an opening there for them to go back and challenge the way that was done in New York. And so that's what his, his legal team has done. It's gone back to say, this is a witch hunt. This isn't legitimate. You don't know the right motives, the right process, that kind of thing. Well, a judge yesterday said basically, nope, uh, that's not a good enough argument. And the access uh, to the documents should happen like right away. Uh, so there's an emergency appeal um, by the president's team to try to keep those records under uh, wraps. And he says they'll go back all the way to the Supreme Court if they have to. I mean, what it means practically in an election year is that I don't think those records will be released to the grand jury and hence, you know, somehow leak into the public domain uh, before the election. I think they have enough uh, legal tools in their pocket to be able to keep that at bay for now. Right. Uh, so let's move on and talk about the speech last night. Joe Biden lays out his plan on the number one issue concerning every American. You just mentioned it, the pandemic. Cut three. If I'm your president on day one, we'll implement the national strategy I've been laying out since March. We'll develop and deploy rapid tests with results available immediately. We'll make the medical supplies and protective equipment that our country needs. We'll make sure our schools have the resources they need to be open safe and effective. We'll take the muzzle off our experts. We'll have a national mandate to wear a mask, not as a burden, but as a patriotic duty to protect one another. So let's take the last one. Can you can you make a national law? I mean, as far as I know, I don't think that he has the power to do that. Now, these are crazy times and we're dealing with a worldwide pandemic. So I'm not saying they wouldn't try it. It will be immediately challenged in court if he does. Uh, I don't think that he has the uh, power to do that, to, to, to declare that right. it's just now illegal in the U.S. to leave your house without a mask. I, don't I, lo- so. I love that they call the president a brutal dictator at the same time empowers the states to handle the virus. <laughs> it's fantastic. Uh, number two, the rapid well, test. What a great idea. I think the NBA is using it. They're using it when they can. They've mass distributed it. And then he says we're going to make the medical supplies and protective equipment the country needs. For the most part, outside Texas for a, a, a week or two two months ago, I think we've done that. I think the bigger question is, what did you leave and what have you done? What did you do before you left? And you want to talk about maybe the president didn't build up because of a pandemic that didn't hit yet. But some of this stuff is is disingenuous to be nice. Well, well, the thing is, I think much of what he proposed is exactly what this administration Thank is you. trying to do. Like Nobody's not trying to get rapid tests. Nobody's not trying to make sure that schools can open safely. I mean, I think it's very much mirroring what this administration is trying to do. It would be fantastic if everybody had the rapid test. I think it would make it, you know, much more comfortable for people to go back to work and to shopping and to concerts and to things that drive our economy. So I don't think anybody's not trying to do that, which was kind of, I don't know, it's easier to be on the outside looking in and say what you would do. Um, That's what any uh, challenger is going to do. But there are questions, too, about under the Biden, uh, the Obama-Biden administration uh, about PPE and national stockpiles that were not restocked the way that they should have been. So, I mean, there are things that happened under his watch, technically as part of that administration, um, that people claim now left us in a less than ideal position when it comes to PPE, when it comes to the way that the CDC could put together testing. Um, so I think it's uh, worthy of asking questions of the vice president about things that were uh, happened on their watch uh, during his eight years in the administration. And, and does he stand by those decisions? And, and how would he do things differently now? Good point. Call Rove on the difference he already knows exists and how vulnerable 
Biden is. Cut 10. No, one speech doesn't do it. But one speech can open up opportunities for your opponent. And tonight, he opened up some opportunities for President Trump, particularly on COVID. He talked about, I thought it was interesting, he opened that section by saying, I've been talking about this since March, and then proceeded to outline six things, like rapid testing and more PPE and so forth. But I thought it was interesting. He knows he's got a vulnerability on this issue. And the vulnerability is that he he and his campaign were wrong on this issue almost from the start. And he said that. And, and, you know, basically on the travel bans, he wouldn't have done it. And he said since March, Mm -hmm. this this thing hit in January. It hit Europe in December. And then it became a national issue in February. So by the time we shut down, he's speaking about it. We already shut the country down once. So he says we got to beat this virus. What a great idea. Let's beat the virus. So it's up to the president to do what we're doing if he wants to win. I mean, instead of talking in generalities, you go in there and just blow this thing up. Yeah, I mean, we didn't hear a ton of policy specifics this week at the DNC, at least not in the main primetime speeches. Um, You know, there were allusions to things here and there, but a lot of what's tucked into the DNC platform in the plans for uh, Joe Biden says he has for the country, we didn't hear a lot of specifics. There was a lot about the tragedies that he's been through and how that makes him an empathetic person, and nobody doubts that. There was a lot of personality, but there wasn't a lot of policy. Um, And I think that's uh, probably smart by the Democrats. He's done well by staying out of the limelight. He had to read this speech last night off a teleprompter, um, come across as a caring, empathetic guy. He did that. And Republicans have to be careful, and the president has to be careful about setting expectations so low for Joe Biden that when he reads a teleprompter speech without getting anything wrong, it's considered a major victory for him. So, they have to be very careful about that because, you know, um, if you if you say, listen, if he comes out and doesn't fumble the words and breathes and makes it through the speech, I know. it's a victorious night for him. That's dangerous. So I want you to hear uh, what Chris Christie said to us 20 minutes ago. Because he talks, he goes, I talk to the president pretty regularly, and he says, this is where this goes from here and the problem that Joe Biden will have. You didn't hear any specifics last night. None. For Joe Biden. And the reason for that is because his specifics would scare the bejesus out of America. And he knows it. It's a crazy left-wing liberal agenda that he has been captive of now, and he gave into in order to get the nomination and that he will pursue if he's elected. So I think the biggest thing the president has to do in our in our convention coming up this week with his speech is to lay out the specifics of what he wants to do the next four years. And to that will force Joe Biden to lay out his specifics. And then we got a ball game, Brian, because America is going to support what Donald Trump wants to do much more than what Joe Biden, AOC um, and Elizabeth Warren want to do. How how right is he? I, I wish I could push back on it, but it's right. And the Democrats know it or else we would have seen the squad. We would have seen a live speech from AOC. They know it's unpopular, but they also know it's coming down our throats if he wins. Well, but they have to know that, um, you know, when you really dig into the platform, the specifics, and again, what are in the things that are in the Joe Biden plan moving forward for the economy, for the climate, those kinds of things. Um, yeah, it was light on that. But so much of what's in there is a huge nod by Joe Biden to the progressive wing of his party, and he has to keep them happy. He, he's trying to keep the tent together. Um, and, and I do think that that's tricky because if you're talking about things that will you know, 
be massive up upheaval or changes to the economy in the name of climate science and, and other, other things like that. I do think the average American is going to have some skepticism about some of what's in that plan and the the allegiances to the new you know Green New Deal and and you know restructuring law enforcement as we now know it. I do think that they know that a bit of that is going to be a hard sell, but they've had to include it in the platform to keep the left wing of the party together. Um, listen, there are things in the RNC platform that are still considered controversial to some people right. um, that not everybody is on board with their position on traditional marriage and other things. Um, and so they're going to take heat for some of that stuff, too. But I do think you're going to get more policy uh, out of the RNC next week because gotcha. I think that they feel like it's to their advantage to talk about what's going on in the cities, the violence that we didn't hear the DNC address. I think that the president and the White House and Republicans wow. feel like um, that is a winning issue for them right now. Others on the left side would say it's nothing but a scare tactic, but they're going to talk about it next week for sure. All right, Shannon, how tempted are you to use that Chris Christie soundbite tonight? I would not be surprised to hear that on your show. It's solid. I'm not going to lie. Go get him. Shannon, thanks. Good night. Uh, uh, looks like Lori Laughlin and her husband are going to prison for five months, $250,000 in fine for the college admission scandal. Uh, just to jump in real quick, Lori Laughlin will be sentenced this afternoon. But she's going to be sentenced. Yes, her husband uh, has uh, been sentenced, and she will be sentenced this afternoon. Oh, husband of. You're right. Thank you. Uh, thanks for that clarification. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. You want to join me? Look at what the people are saying. See, I'm, I've lost my staff in this guy. Kobe I know. Um, uh, Linda says, thanks for all you do. Aww. That's good. Why, am I, why is this backwards? There you go. Um, Where's the camera? Right there? Did you fire your assistant? Yeah, I think it's low. Please, uh, please write Where another children. You normally I gotta clean my lens. Look how blurry this is. Where is the camera? Right up there? I think it's here. Oh, I think it's, it's down there. No, anyway, it might be up. I'm really confused. I think I, that's it right there. I'm, this whole industry. This. Do you think social media is gonna <laughs> stick around for a while? That was a little of my great self uh, Facebook Live today. You guys thought it was hysterical? Ainsley well, we walked over happened. in the middle. Yeah, when we leave you to uh, do things on your own. <laughs> You know, and I was confident when we left with our quick pre-show meeting, you said, oh, we have to do it later, but I'll take care of it myself. And I said, oh, you're fine. You know how to do this. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. My economic plan is all about jobs, dignity, respect, and community. Together we can and will rebuild our economy. And when we do, we'll not only build back, we'll build back better. With modern roads, bridges, highways, broadband, ports and airports as a new foundation for economic growth. With pipes that transport clean water to every community. With 5 million new manufacturing and technology jobs, so the future is made in America.
Right. That uh, makes a lot of sense. He never thought of that for eight years when he was the vice president. He never thought of building those things when he had $800 billion in a stimulus bill. And he never thought about that in all for 47 years, about this whole broadband build roads and 5 million manufacturing jobs. Before that, he thought the American people just wanted empty buildings uh, and thought it would be better giving it to Thailand and China. Joining us now, Susan Lee. Uh, Susan's at the Fox Business uh, Network, and she's a she's always contributing to the channel to the point where she can never be on the radio show. So this is a rare <laughs> gift for us, Susan. No, and I'm calling in because this is my day off, actually, but I'm in my bunny slippers and in my bathrobe. And when they said, kill me, needs you, I am going to be there regardless. Wow. Did you even know it was the, you might thought I might be in trouble? Is that what the initial callback was for? <laughs> you didn't no, even know it was the radio? not. Oh. Can't resist. When kill me and ask, are you crazy? Well, good point. I never thought of it from your perspective. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Susan, <laughs> so what do you think about that Joe Biden economic plan? It sounds so specific. I can't wait to start it. Well, it's going to cost a lot of money. Yep. And, of course, uh, where where is he going to find the money? He's going to tax everybody. So that's what I think Wall Street is a little bit concerned. Well, not just a little. But they are very concerned because, look, we know that most of the rally that we've seen since 2016 has been because Trump has cut – President Trump has cut the corporate tax rate from something uncompetitive above 35 percent to 21 percent. And now you have Joe Biden and Kamala Harris who want to raise it back up to 28 percent. So that's what we call the low watermark. That was the – are the easy wins, and that's why we're at these record levels. But if you raise the corporate tax back up, that means companies can't keep more of the money. They can't hire more people. They can't go out and spend it in the American economy. So that does have Wall Street concern. If you're going to tax every stock and bond trade, that also, by the way, hurts our 401ks because those are the fidelities of the world and these pension fund overseers. Those are the most active daily traders on the stock market. So I think Wall Street is a little bit concerned. Yeah, I, I guess, uh, especially if he continues to lead and uh, eventually wins. But let's let's drill down a little bit. He wants to bring businesses back to America. He knows that mm-hmm. worked for the president. But how do you do that while raising the corporate tax rate? Yeah, that's hard to do. And and not just the corporate tax rate, but personal taxes as well. So it's going up to 39% for the top 1%. So what President Trump did was he gave a tax holiday to you know the big American corporations that had a lot of money stashed overseas, so the apples of the world. We're not getting that this time around from what I understand from the economic plan that Biden has laid out. And that's how you entice companies to do that. So if you're not offering tax incentives, you're going to raise taxes. I'm not sure a lot of people will take him up on that. Interesting, because what you always hear about this, the president's uh, tax reform was it gave his rich friends tax breaks. What's the reality? Well, we did know that a lot of the loopholes were closed, right? So were, were there a lot of taxes that they saved at the end when they did their IRS returns? Probably not, at least on a personal basis. But yes, we did have I guess capital gains tax wasn't uh, lowered that much either. I think it's still that 15%. So uh, what the reality is, yes, they did benefit. You know, maybe not uh, as much as what the Democrats are saying, but, uh, you know, the loopholes were closed. And I think that's pretty much what you want to do. You want to simplify the tax code and not have a thousand pages of tax codes where people can find loopholes to get away from actually paying the government. Susan, when you talk to people, I know you spend a lot of time on Wall Street, but think of the people listening to us um, mm-hmm. are not. And besides oh. the 401ks and am the, I being too specific the, or too no, complicated? No, no, 401ks and pension plans. But just to yeah. open it up a little bit, 
Main Street yet, that unemployment at 10%, another million people just applied for yeah. jobless benefits. So when are they going to start feeling the benefit uh, that the stock market's giving many? Well, I think 100 million in America hold either an IRA or a 401k, and they have pension funds as well. So I would say half of these. So that helps. Yeah, American population actually does benefit from the fact that we are at record levels on Wall Street with the S&P and the NASDAQ and the like. And by the way, Apple's most widely held stock by virtually every pension fund and every 401k and IRA in the country. So if you're looking at Apple now worth two and a half trillion dollars, which is extraordinary because that's bigger than Russia, Spain and Canada's economy. It's crazy that you've benefited from that. And Apple's gotten a lot of benefit from the tax rate cut, by the way. So they've been able to save more of their money and buy back the shares, give back dividends, and raise the stock price. So uh, when do you think we're going to get the hospitality industry back? When do you think restaurants will start living again? Do you fear that commercial real estate is going to be down for a long time because so many are saving money having people work at home? Well, actually, I was looking at the home prices this morning and the home market, and housing is booming. Can you believe that? So I saw existing home sales. I mean, the up 24%, right? Yes, and that is the highest in almost, what, 14 years, going back to 2006. And then that came off a June record as well. And the median and the average home price went up to 304000 That's near record levels. So we're looking at a boom in housing. So, yes, okay, maybe you're out of work, but your housing value of your own homes is going up. And we know that it represents about a fifth of the U.S. economy. So if a fifth of the U.S. economy is booming, I mean, that could lead us out of this uh, this economic turmoil, out of at least uh, for you know in the next few months or hopefully the next year. Very interesting to to see what happens because it really revolves a lot around the virus, correct? Right, and also looking by the way at the housing. Yes, housing is booming, but also the uh, hospitality job that you just mentioned last month. I was looking through those uh, jobs figures, which did very well. Most of the jobs that were created, the million plus, came from hospitality and leisure, and those that actually lost their jobs first because travel was decimated because of COVID and restaurants were shut. But if you're looking at close to a million boom back in jobs in those sectors, I mean, this could be the leading indicator that things are getting better and we are slowly coming out of this. Interesting. Uh, I guess we'll we'll have to see where we, what we plan on doing, uh, depending on what the president's going to say. And also, I think people in the oil and gas industry are nervous. What should they be thinking about the future of fracking and drilling? Oil and gas. Well, yeah, well, oil prices are back up to $45. That's pretty good since you went into negative historic territory in March. So I think things are actually going well right now for oil and gas, and they should be concerned, though, with the upcoming, if if Biden and Harris do win the uh, White House, uh, well, you know, the rules and the regulations around that, because this is obviously a, a big supporting industry for a lot of states out there, whether it's the North Dakotas, which has done very well during the fracking boom. And also it's made us energy independent as well. You know, the U.S. is now the largest oil exporter in the world. I mean, that is incredible. They account for close to 60 percent of the growth that we've seen in oil and gas over the last 
five years and going forward as well. So do they really want to take this type of booming industry, which will create jobs, which will put money back into government coffers? Do they want to put an end to that? I think so, because it's like a religion. I I don't understand (laughs) it, but it's like a religion. Uh, They want to make sure to get rid of it. And Bernie Sanders talks about it. AOC dreams about it. And she actually drew up someone else, drew up a plan for her just to implement it. Uh, Susan Lee, back to your vacation. Thank you so All much. All right, back to bunny slippers. Right. Or, or partying, whatever you're allowed to do without them shutting your water off. <laughs> thank you. Thank right. you, Brian. Susan, thanks so much. Let's go to Joe on WABC in New York City. Hey, Joe. Hey, Joe, you're on. Uh, yeah, good morning. Uh, now I can hear you. Uh, I just wanted to share you with you a really great conservative site. It's uh, unz.com. Uh, carries a lot of great conservative commentators, Paul Craig Roberts, Pat Buchanan, and many, many others. And best of all, it's not controlled by Silicon Valley, right, Twitter, but what's Google, on your mind? Uh, you don't, don't promote. Okay. Just, just talk about what's on your mind. Sure. Uh, with regard to Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, the black community definitely has some very serious problems. The police are the least among those problems. Uh, Now, when I say problems, I'm talking about structural problems, like, for instance, the fact that, first of all, 75% of black children in the United States are born out of wedlock. That's a whopping set four, um, I'm sorry, uh, that's a whopping three out of four black children do not have a black father in the home providing guidance, providing an income, and providing the stability that comes with a nuclear family. That's number one. Number two, much of the black crime that's committed in the black uh, from the black community is actually directed at black victims. Uh, and they don't bring that up. That blacks are what thirteen percent of the U.S. population. I hear you. And the family structure needs to be addressed. I don't know exactly to do that, but if Black Lives Matter on the on the two sites that I've seen, uh, they talk about they de-emphasize the nuclear family. So that's not going to help. I just know there's a whole lot of people that could could use a hand up. And I'd love to do it without a government program. Um, and I'd love to do it with this generation, not wait a generation. Adam, listen on WABC in Queens, New York. Adam. Hey, Brian, we got to stop meeting like this. I'm going to need some intro music, maybe a little Black Betty Ram Lamb Jam. But, uh, we'll see if I can afford that. Uh, see if I can afford the rights <laughs> to that, Adam. But what's on your mind today? Uh, besides the Democrat video they showed all those Americans fleeing to Cuba at the DNC. No, that didn't happen because nobody's leaving here to go to communist cuba and i just want to shout out my boss brian hunt here in queens who let me know he shares your name and uh, great minds think alike right trump is the whistleblower in the white house this guy is calling out china he's letting everybody know they are economic technologic military adversary and competitor they cannot be trusted we have to continue the fight and uh, that the if the government and our mayors won't support our police then the citizens have to blue lives do matter brian go get him i don't know what what the mayor doesn't think about, but thank you and he, thanks again for I'm everything not sure you the do mayor, for us. Yeah, you're welcome, uh, and I'm not sure your mayor is thinking. And I think the one thing I like to bring up uh, before we go to this block, then I'll have more to know, and then I'll be on the Fox Business Network right at 12 uh, with David Asman filling in for Neil Cavuto. The one hit, there's a couple of hits, blaming President Trump for 170,000 deaths on a worldwide pandemic that has yet to be controlled that came from China, out of line, totally over the line. Next, Charlottesville. Listen to what Joe Biden said. Cut six. Just a week ago yesterday was the third anniversary of the events in Charlottesville. Close your eyes. Remember what you saw on television. Remember seeing those neo-Nazis and Klansmen and white supremacists coming out of fields with lighted torches. 
veins bulging, spewing the same, same anti-Semitic bile heard across Europe in the 30s. Remember the violent clash that ensued between those spreading hate and those with the courage to stand against it. And remember what the president said when asked? He said there were, quote, very fine people on both sides. Right. It was a wake-up call for us. It's a wake-up call. That's how he got in. Well, let's look at the whole thing. You know he wasn't praising skinheads. You know he wasn't playing news neo-Nazis. And this is actually what he said, cut seven. Listen to the beginning. And you had some very bad people in that group. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. Understand? You had people in that- You understand? You had some crazy people in that group. He said it a million times. But you also had some good people in the South brought up there. Uh, the Confederate statue is a part of their culture. It was what Lincoln brought up when we were transitioning to becoming one country again. It's what Grant made sure not to sense of punishment. That's why he let Lee go with his horse and his sword and his guns. And they were told, pledge allegiance to the country and go back. It's unbelievable. If you think about it, they were able to get this country back together again. That's what was necessary then. If you want to have a discussion about bringing it down, we should. This has come up three or four times since. The, the last time was after George Floyd's death in May. So for him to continue to say the president's a racist in Charlottesville is proof is not telling it accurate. Here's what DeRoy Murdoch said. Cut eight. This is the second time I've heard Joe Biden uh, refer to this quote in the last couple of weeks. And the left brings it up all the, all the time. And they only give you part of the quote, which, of course, looks really bad for President Trump. He said, actually, in Charlottesville in August of, of 2017, there are very fine people on both sides, very fine people who are protesting very quietly, taking down of the statue of Robert E. Lee. And then he continued, I'm not, repeat, not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists because they should be condemned totally. He also referred to these as rough, bad people. So the left always likes to talk about the first half of that quote, which doesn't look very good. They leave off the second half of the quote, and that's all designed to uh, advance this this lie, this narrative that uh, President Trump is some sort of a white nationalist. And what I've tried to do is say President, Vice President Biden did a good speech. I think it was well-written, well-delivered. Get it. No, it was extremely tough all week long without an audience. Understand it. I look for the RNC to get that audience, and they're going to spread them out like a West Point graduation because that's what West Point did. That's what Annapolis did. You can do it with an audience. What is so hard for people to understand? You get your six feet apart, you put a mask on, you enter a certain way, you leave a certain way. That's can happen. President Trump will do that. I'm curious to see if he does it at the White House. Next, I wanted to point out little by little everything that he said was inaccurate, Joe Biden exaggerated, one of which is that the president's a racist. He is not. He's got a bunch of people who know him well who will prove it. Back in a moment with more to know. And thanks so much for listening. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. This is More to Know because you've had enough of the headlines. Now it's time for the other stuff. Here's More to Know. More to Know. So get this, Allison. A mama six booted from a JetBlue plane because you couldn't get her two-year-old to wear a mask. Who made this decision? Shia Brock of Brooklyn told Fox News she believes the airline's current mask policy is not feasible and traumatizing. No kidding. Can you imagine being on that plane, going from Orlando to Newark, and getting kicked off because a two-year-old won't wear a mask? And Noah, she was traveling by herself with her six children. And then she was kicked off because the two-year-old wouldn't wear a mask. I mean, flying with kids is stressful enough. 
to try to then wrangle a two-year-old to keep the mask on, never mind not cry, not run through the aisles. But it's ridiculous. Bad decision by the staff at JetBlue. You inconvenienced everyone. Next, Tom Brenneman apologizes for his comments during a game. He thought he was off mic. He made a homophobic slur in the air. I'm not going to repeat it. Of course I wouldn't. He says, I can't erase what I've done. The only thing I could do is humbly apologize. I truly am deeply sorry. He called a home run in the middle of his apology. Uh, He has no excuse, but it does look like he's not coming back. He's already spoken to Major League Baseball executive openly, who is openly gay, and Bean has agreed to work with him on how to become more informed person. What do you think, Allison? Uh, I mean, you know, whenever you're in front of a mic, it can always be live, so you need to always be careful. But should it be something he loses his job over? I think, I don't know. What do you think? It sounds way intolerant. I think he made a huge mistake. It's sorry he feels that way. I don't know many people who, who speak that way. But people make ignorant comments all the time. 27 years. I think he's been a model broadcaster. Next. Isolation and inactivity during COVID-19, leaving half Americans battling more aches and pains. They studied, they studied 2,000 people. 48% say they got more pain. Why? Because sitting around is painful. That's why you don't want to be in the hospital, right? 100%. Plus, gyms are closed. You can't move around as much. I totally. It makes sense to me. Now, this is something I've always said as we move on. Smiling more often, even faking it, tricks your brain into feeling happy. A new study showed researchers revealed at the University of South Australia they examined participants holding a pen between their teeth, forcing their face to make the same muscle movement as a smile. I know this works. I always, I even tell my kids this. If you're in a bad mood, smile. It sends signals to your body. Do you believe it? I do believe, but here's the other problem with wearing a mask. You can't tell when people are smiling at you. It's a problem. I know, and I, we can't shake hands, we don't know how to smile, we're trying to fake smiling, our bodies hurt. Not easy being a human being. It'd be That's better being moment. an animal and ignorant, just for this once. Hey, thanks for listening all week, Allison. Of course, great job, uh, Josh and Pete, and get better, Eric. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep listening. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.